Good morning, everyone. It's a privilege to be here. I appreciate Dr. May asking me to uh, share a word this morning. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. And as you're turning there, I, I just think encouragement is a necessary thing in our world for Christians. We should always be encouraged because Jesus Christ lives. He has always lived. The book of Hebrews also says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And as you're turning there, I want to tell you a story. Teresa and I used to go to this little restaurant, really rustic. You know, the kind where they paint the name of the restaurant on the windows and things of that nature. And they had really good food, and I like to read things in the window. They would have a truck for sale or, you know, buy this. And I'm an animal lover. I, th I love dogs, and I think everybody here ought to have a dog. And if you don't have a dog, I'll help you find a dog if you want one. You should always have something that gives unconditional love wherever you are. Well, the sign up in this restaurant, it says Lost Dog. And it caught my interest. And so it starts to have just, you know, somebody lost their dog. They put up a sign. They said, Lost Dog. Said he has three legs. He's blind in one eye. He's hard of hearing. He has the mange. He has scratches from encounters with cats. If found, please call such and such. And then it goes something like this. And by the way, he answers to the name Lucky. And I thought, you know, that's kind of weird. He's got all that. And then I realized it was a big joke, you know. And then uh, it was an encouraging way of trying to retrieve a pet. And I think we need to be encouraged, not just by who we are, the people we sit with, but by people who have gone before us. And this book of Hebrews is an encouraging book because it points directly to life that is well lived with Jesus Christ. This is the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we, are, we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's two ways this passage gives us encouragement that I came up with, maybe many more. But the first is we receive encouragement from the past, those who have gone before us. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, you know it's the well-known book of faith. By faith Abraham did this, by faith uh, Jacob did this. By faith, Moses did all these things. We receive encouragement because all of those men and women who went before us who believed God are exactly like us as human beings. Human beings are no different than they were when they were created. We just come in different packages. We are the same. Our thoughts are the same. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, every human being since then has sinned. All of us are in the same boat, so to speak. So as Christians, as believers, how can we get encouragement from these people who've gone on? The first thing we notice about them, it says that 
in verse 12, it says, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. That word encumbrance means something of bulk or mass, something heavy. It is neutral in the sense of being good or bad. I like to fish. I went fishing two months ago and I retired from it because we caught two fish and the only person to catch a fish was Ms. Dallas. That's embarrassing as a husband. She took a picture of it and sent it to her father. Now, how is it that you send a picture of the man's daughter catching a fish and the son-in-law gets nothing? That's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. But I like to fish. But it can, come, it can become an encumbrance to me if I let it get out of control, if I ignore my job responsibilities and go fishing, if I ignore being involved in church and going fishing, if it consumes me, if all my time is caught up in fishing and buying the new rod or buying the new bass boat, yet my Bible grows cold and dusty in the living room, it has become an encumbrance to me and I need to let it go. These people did that. They focused on something better than present circumstances and how to make their circumstances better because they had something greater in mind and that was a love for God, that it was a supreme love. Abraham had it, Isaac had it, Jacob had it, so forth and so on. They were also able to conquer something through the grace of God that we also face. He says, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. We are faced with sin every day. Will I do right? Will I do wrong? Will I do something out of selfish motivation or will I do it in a way that honors God? Will I lie? Will I cheat? Will I steal? Will I commit adultery? Will I dishonor God? Will I ignore Him? Whatever the sin is, it makes no difference. The writer of the book of Hebrews says... Get rid of the things that are holding us back, which were neutral. And also, we have to get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. The idea is of sin sitting there waiting for someone to come along. It is exactly what God said to Cain. Sin is waiting for you at the door, crouching like a ravenous beast, wanting you to destroy it, but you must master it. Cain did not ask the right question. He should have said, Lord, how can I master it? Only through Jesus Christ can sin be mastered. All of us fail. All of us mess up. All of us go brain dead at various times. But these people were able to do it. Now, how were they able to do that? These are hard things because I like stuff, don't y'all? You know, most people get Christmas presents, and we like our stuff for a season, but it's just stuff. It cannot love us back. And I would encourage everybody here not to love anything that cannot love you back. That's why I said you need a dog. Dog can love you back. <laughs> Fishing rod cannot. How are we able to do it? Every one of these people did things that we must do. First of all, they believe God. Every one of them. Everyone in the book of Hebrews, the people that came before us, they believed God's word. Doesn't mean they were perfect. Doesn't mean they didn't fail. Sometimes they believed it and ignored it just like we do. But they believed God. 
And that's the reason the Bible is put on trial every day in our culture and every culture that has preceded us and every culture that will go forward beyond our time because Satan knows if men and women really caught on to the idea that the Word of God is absolutely correct and that the Word of God can be trusted and the Word of God is there to fulfill my life and make me the person I need to be and I will have the greatest joy that I could ever know this side of heaven if I simply believe and put into practice the word of God if we did that our world would dramatically change so the word of God is always put Abel believed God Cain did not Jacob believed God Esau did not even Joshua stood before the Israelites and said, Choose this day whom you will serve as for me and my family. We will serve the Lord. We're going to obey God. We're going to believe God. And remember, Joshua and Caleb were only two of, two of the 12 spies that went back and said, We believe God. And they were only two over a certain age that made it into the promised land. Because if you believe God, then we believe what comes next, what all these people believe. I know where I came from. I did not come from a piece of protoplasm that came out of nowhere at some point in time. No one knows. And I don't know how I got DNA. I don't know why I have eyes and fingers and toes. That's not what the Bible says. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that God fashioned Adam from the dust of the earth. He took carbon and he masterfully crafted it into a form that God was pleased with. And boy, then he made Eve and he made a better looking woman, someone better looking than Adam. And he crafted her especially to be a mate, a loving helper to Adam. And all of us have a purpose all of us come from the same God because if we believe we didn't come from God and we just popped up, then I can treat you any way I want to because you're irrelevant. And you can treat me any way you want to. I'm irrelevant. If I just popped up, it means there's no morals, there's no values, there's no nothing. I don't have to worry about anything because if there is not a God who lovingly created me and you, then we don't have to worry. We are free to do our own thing, come up with our own theology, as most of the world has had, and not given an account to the loving creator who made us. When I was a boy, my father did something crazy. My father was always doing stuff. He would volunteer me and my brother. He volunteered us to clean the church. And I wanted to know how much I was going to get paid for it, and I was told to be quiet. That, and then I got a sermon, you know, from my dad and he even made us go outside after he mowed the grass in the summer. That wet grass hit the basement windows of that church. And I think he did it on purpose. And it dried hard in the sun. And he made me and my brother get out there and clean that. And my brother was lazy. So I had to clean more windows than anybody else. What my dad was trying to teach us was that God is to be honored above all and that we have a role in this world and our ultimate role is to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ and to love God more than we love ourselves because if we do that, then I can love Miss Dallas the way she's supposed to be loved and you can love your wife and your husband and your children the way they should be and we would have a culture that would shine out as a bright light in the universe 
for the angels to see and the devil to be embarrassed and ashamed of what he has done. So they believe God's word. They believe what their role was on the earth and they believe that God's word should be put into practice in every situation. Now the reason the Bible it says things like this, you shall not lie, it might as well say, tell the truth. It should say, do not commit adultery, same as saying, be faithful to your spouse. If you believe God has brought you together, if you believe that God has brought you together forever, then love your spouse more than you love yourself. Because guys, let's be honest about it, women are far more loving than men. They are. Book of Ephesians even highlights that. Husbands, love your wives. Doesn't say in there about wives loving husbands. They, they do that naturally. They're better at it than we are. And so the Bible calls us to a certain way of thinking about our moral life. They all faced it. You remember where Abraham lived? There were cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot just went right down in there. Abraham said, no, I'm not going down there. That's a bad influence. Moses lived in Egypt where had all kinds of gods and goddesses. And the Bible says that he resisted the passing pleasure of sin. We face the same moral dilemma that they all faced. It just comes in different incarnations. When God says, follow me, be faithful, be loving, follow me completely, it extends to every aspect of our lives, every fiber of it, even our thoughts. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? Because my thoughts aren't always right. Sometimes I prejudge people. I know you would never do that. You look at person. My wife looked at me the other day. She said, you've got the meanest look on your face. I said, well, that's my everyday face. I can get my game face on later. Just because somebody looks a certain way or acts a certain way does not mean they are that way. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine got bit by a dog that was wagging his tail. You have to be careful and not judge. Now, I know you don't judge. I judge people. I can look at them and judge people, and that's wrong. We judge how people are every day. The only judgment is over a life like God has shown. Abraham lived it. Enoch lived it. Abel lived it. Adam lived it. And the fourth thing is we're able to conquer everything in this world even though we are sinners. I'm a sinner. I know that. I know that I made wrong choices. But there is a sin that separates from God eternally. And human pride is the only thing that holds men and women back from being saved. The Bible says that when we sin, I'm not talking about as believers now, but I'm talking about when we sinned as human beings, God's wrath was upon us. It's the beauty of what Jesus Christ did that he removed that sin through repentance and faith of the individual on the cross. Our world doesn't believe that. Our world believes that I'm a good guy 
I'm okay. Leave me alone. You're worse than I am. And that may be true. But from God's perspective, the only acceptable people who can go into the kingdom of heaven are those who are perfect. I'm not perfect. So how do I get into heaven? By repentance and faith and come to salvation through the man Jesus Christ who is perfect and gave himself. That's encouraging to me. We also receive encouragement from the future. Verse 2 says we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This idea of fixing means to really focus in, set it up as a permanent idea. Everybody in our world looks for somebody to be encouraged. Now, I was pulling for Clemson last night. I was encouraged day one. I like Clemson. I went to an ACC school, so I was pulling for them. I hope they win. They may not. But I'm not going to focus on them as the source of my life. It's a football game. That's all it is. Some helmets, colors, and I'll make a bold prediction the Tigers are going to win. But I don't fix my life there, and you don't either. It says fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Why? Why should I do that? A reasonable, normal person should say, why Jesus? And they're owed an explanation for that. Nothing wrong with that. It says here, he is the author or the leader of our faith. He brought it into existence by his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. He brought in the Christian faith. He inaugurated the church. He made salvation possible. Now Abraham, Isaac, Moses, and all those people didn't know the name Jesus, but they knew that God was promising a Savior, and they believed in something that had not occurred. How much more easily should it be for us to believe in that which has already been fulfilled that was predicted years and years ago? Fix our eyes on our leader because he is perfect. You know what the Bible says about people who follow Christ? I like what it says over in Daniel. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life. Then it says, Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Isn't it going to be great to shine like a star? We're not there yet, but God has promised it. It says Jesus is the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. This is the church age. This is the age of faith. Faith will end because at death we'll see God as he really is. There will be a time when we will see exactly all that the Bible has talked about, there is an end, which means the opportunity for men and women to be saved is limited. It is their life. And men and women leave here every day without accepting Jesus Christ. I saw a story on the news about a gentleman who had died, and his son said this at the end of the story. He said, I do not know if I will ever see my father again. That touched my heart because I get to see my dad 
And I know it. And it's encouraging. How much more do people need the encouragement of living forever and ever with Jesus Christ? And that's only possible if men and women get saved. It said that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. I thought a long time about that. What does that mean? The joy set before him. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe that means heaven. Well, he lived in heaven before he came down here. He had that already, so can't be that. He went back to heaven. He already has that. Then I thought about riches. And then I thought, no, can't be that because Jesus owns everything. All the gold in the world and in the known universe and throughout every galaxy that exists and the billions of planets that are out there, he owns it all because he made it all. He's already got everything. We can add nothing to his wealth. And then I thought, well, maybe they're talking about glory. But Jesus said this, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before all of this. What could his joy be? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. This is my opinion now. I think Jesus looked into the future. And I think Jesus saw millions of men and women in the kingdom of heaven in fellowship, in joy, loving each other, breaking bread together, having fellowship together, sitting with angels and kneeling before the Father together. And Jesus on the cross and in the garden as he was sweating drops of blood saw you and me and every other believer, Adam, Abraham, Enoch, in his kingdom. And he said, it's worth it. That's why the last words on the cross, I believe it is finished. The opportunity, I've provided it, is what Jesus said. The joy set before him was us. You and me, those not worthy, made worthy. And that's one of the most humbling things in the world, to know that God loved you and I more than he loved his own life and gave it for us. Isn't that humbling? He loved me? There's a story in the Old Testament it's where the high priest was in his regalia, looking good, had everything right. And in the scene of heaven, the Bible said it looked like he was dressed in rags. Man's best is always not enough. And Satan stood there accusing the high priest. The high priest didn't know it. Satan's accusing him before God, and God said, no, no, no. I'm taking control of this situation because Satan can never accuse God of being anything else other than righteous, good, and holy, and he cowers before the Almighty when the Almighty speaks. 
When Jesus was raised from the dead, he gave us everything Satan wanted. Have you ever read the I wills of Satan? Isaiah 14, Satan has said, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. God responds, nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities? He was able to overthrow the world by enticing Adam and Eve to sin. And if you recall, when Jesus was tempted, Satan said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you bow down to me because they have been handed over to me. And guess who did that? We did through our sin. Now the beauty of it, the encouraging part of it is everything Satan wanted God's going to give us through grace. I just read about shining like the stars of heaven. Jesus said, I will let you rule with me. I have called you friends. I will let you live in my kingdom. In the great priestly prayer, Jesus said, Lord, I want them to be where I'm at. And not only these, but those who will come in the future. He is going to allow us to have everything through grace that Satan tried to steal through sin. Isn't that the ultimate in God's grace? To exalt his people who are not worthy of it, but to exalt it because he is worthy. It said this, that Jesus for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of it all, in other words, what it means is when he was laughed at, mocked at, spit upon, he said, I'm not paying attention to this stuff. I've got a mission. The mission is to give my life on the cross for these people who are spitting on me, laughing at me, scoffing at me, making fun of me because God is the giver of eternal life and God is worth it. Our encouragement is, and it says here, do not grow weary and lose heart. These things happen to Jesus, and everybody's life is different. Everybody in here will get sick. Everybody in here will lose somebody precious. Everybody in here will ultimately lose our own lives. But God had told us these things. But he said, it will be a better day it will be a day of joy and happiness. I've had to do a lot of funerals in my life. And when I have to do the funeral for a believer, it's always okay. I sleep fine. I know them. I'm able to talk about them. But I've had to do funerals for people who didn't know Jesus Christ by their own admission. And I toss and turn all night because I can't preach them into heaven. I can't get them there. 
And usually what I say is he, this person had opportunities in their life. They had chances as we all do. And one day when I was in graduate school, I preached a sermon for a man who by his own words was lost. His nephew stopped me after the sermon. And he said, I know that was hard to do. And I said, yes. And he said, it's a shame. The man died without Christ. And I said, it was. And it is. And we have to make sure that we don't die without Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The word life there, a lot of Greek words for life, I like that when it's zoe. We get the English word zoology, meaning all of life. What Jesus is really saying, I have come that you'll have life abundantly in every form, every shape, every fashion, not just here and now, but for the future. God is the giver of life. No one else. And I pray that we would be encouraged by the author of our faith. May we pray together.